This podcast is about so many aspects of life, and life is messy. Adult language and themes ahead. Listener discretion is advised. Get ready to open your heart and your mind, because we're going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. I am LeJohn. I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. And welcome back to the Going There podcast. We have a little experiment we want to do with our listeners right now. I'm going to say a word. And when I do, I want you to notice what you experience without doing anything about it. Just react. Don't try to undo. If you constrict, if you feel annoyed, if you feel tired, watch your body and notice kind of the sensations, the impulses, the emotions that arise. Be ready to analyze them for yourselves. The word is privilege. Okay, so now that you've taken that internally, it is my actual privilege to introduce our guest this week, Mr. Hassan Rogers, longtime friend. Yes, indeed. The sexy, smooth, caramel voice. I am honored to be here, man. And I love it because LeJohn and I both have our Browns t-shirts on, and guess what he's wearing? All brown stuff. Oh, brown. Believe it, man. Even the brown. I brought on Browns corduroy. <laughs> <laughs> That'll bridge the racial gap. If a black guy can wear corduroy, because, you know, that's the white guy thing. And he has the, like, the suede uh, yeah, elbow the, patches. The professor patches. Damn, I didn't see the patches. You gotta, you gotta rock the professor oh, patches. All right, Hassan, who the hell are you? By trade, I'm a um, language arts specialist. Uh, I, I work in the schools, uh, theater arts specialist. I began my, 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 my working life as an adult in broadcasting back in the mid-'80s. And uh, then theater came shortly after that. And my involvement with theater and children uh, came when I was um, involved in a group called Drama Theater for Youth at Caramel Theater here in Cleveland, Ohio. After that, I started my company, Storytime with Hassan, in 1993, where I would take my uh, folk tales and theater supplements into the schools, perform, and then conduct workshops after the performance. That's a big deal. That's a mission of mine to make the arts accessible to all children. So um, one day in, in 1999, I, I wrote a play called Mrs. Rogers' Back Porch. My, that's my last name, you know, Rogers. It's a, 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 a retrospective. How have I never put two and two together? How about that? You're Mr. Mr. Rogers, Rogers, and I, I tell I work with kids. He's wearing the. He's even wearing the jacket. <laughs> yeah, I got the jacket. Get a cardigan. So in 1999, I started my theater directing career directing one of my pieces. You open the plane dealer and you see your piece that's about growing up in Cleveland's projects, Garden Valley. That would be Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. That was that would be my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was a big deal. And I, I, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was to a kid who grew up in Garden Valley. Man, I can't tell you how far removed that was from my reality. So I've been a guy who, uh, as an artist and broadcaster and journalist uh, and, cre and creative writer, I've had a chance to see a lot of stuff, man. And um, when I started working with Matt, we would have these conversations between uh, shooting scenes. And I got a chance to see Matt as a, as a, as a, a deep human. And uh, he's a, he, he may come across as a, a cut up, but dude is a real deep cat. 
and uh, an endless abyss of emotion and fear yeah you know he's a deep cat but he's honest uh, what i was always impressed with with you and this is not a total ass kissing your ability to be super deep in a moment's notice like you said we'd yell cut we were waiting for something and suddenly he and i are talking deep philosophical ideologies but also your objectivity i mean it's so easy to be cynical and say Somebody who looks like you isn't going to think like me, so let's not have this conversation. And I don't just mean from one side or the other. Who I am today has a lot to do with these types of relationships, you very specifically. I appreciate that, man. Speaking of creativity and having multiple talents and whatnot, our showcase musical guest of this episode is none other than Bobby Dragon. Uh, Bobby Dragon is a multifaceted musician, entertainer, songwriter, producer, and vibrational life cheerleader. And I mean that in all senses of the, of the words and terms, uh, who creates, lives, and performs and brings you deep into the music with joy and we mean lots and lots of joy this Bobby guy. Dragon yes Bobby Dragon so enjoy So let's dig in. If you did the activity, what'd your body tell you? The P word? Yeah. Privilege? Oh, the other, yeah. Uh-oh, <laughs> uh we got some different reactions. <laughs> the other P word. The other P word. Oh, never mind. Because <laughs> I was thinking about both of them. <laughs> but um, I ain't got none. That's what. That's what, That's the first thing I said. I don't have none. When you say you don't have any, do you mean numb? Or it doesn't affect you. Ooh. As time goes on, definitely numbness. Yeah. As time has gone on, yeah. Yeah. We and we we spoke on that before. Just becoming just just numb to it all, man. Just like, you know what? Oh yeah. I expected that. That's pretty much how it works. After after a while, uh my wound becomes a scar, right? Oh, you better believe it. But it's not yeah. like some detached like Buddhist feeling. It's more like you're letting yourself drown kind of thing. Can, can we be honest? Honest. Does, does it bother you on a certain level? How can it not? Let me, let me put it this way. Still numb because the outcome is already known before anything happens. The outcome makes me numb. The outcome that I know before anything is even said, before the outcome is reached, the numbness is already there. It's almost a defensive barrier. Yeah. I can get with that. I have some theories on it based on the book that I want to share a little bit more. What's the title today. of the book, bro? The name of the book is My Grandmother's Hands. It's written by Resma Menicum, and he's a therapist and trauma specialist, and he approaches it from kind of a neurological standpoint. And it, and uh, I wondered what that meant as well. So far, I mean, I love his writing. I love his theories. Uh, his grandmother's hands, he noticed his grandmother's hands were different from his he asked her why. Uh, they're like this from picking cotton. Racial trauma is in our bodies. And I mean that for everybody, including white people. It, but it's different for us, obviously, because we're on a different side of the teeter-totter. Before I go too much into that, Joe, how about you? What'd you feel? Um, I had, I wouldn't know if you call it like a flutter, but uh, like a 
yeah, I guess like a flutter in my uh, neck esophagus area, like and my heart was beating. And I guess if I was examining it, I was starting to get a little agitated. Agitated at, at its existence or or just, my gosh, this this thing doesn't go away. You know, if I'm to like unpack it, I wonder if it's a selfish, like seeing other people have things succeed, not respecting the. Um, yeah, I think it's a culmination of just like my whole experience with um, experiencing working with other people who have white privilege, financial privilege, just privilege in general, when I don't see myself as having privilege, but I do, but I don't see myself having the privilege that's equal to them. Basically, I feel left behind. For me, it um, it's almost like a, like a whack-a-mole. You know, the thing keeps popping up and you, you can't, you can't hit it fast enough. Uh, so do you stop playing whack-a-mole? No, you you begin to say, okay, I'm going to get closer. I choke up my grip and I'm going to really look for it. So there, there is something to be said for those who are persistent at, at swinging at it. So for me, when I hear it, I, I see it as another chance at something to swing at, another chance at something that has been dogging me, that has been dogging a, a, a situation, and now I have a chance to address it. There is anxiety even when you're, and Lindsay can attest to this because Matt, you're always wrong. <laughs> and not not because I'm trying to be absolute, but you are male, you know? So, so you know, like Lindsay, it's that point in the argument when you know you could crush, but you choose to see the bigger picture and hope that if, if I see the bigger picture, I can address how we get to this little snag when I don't, you know, I don't address your little anxiety. Um, I'd like to bring in our producer to respond to that. <laughs> the question is, have you and Hassan been talking behind my back? <laughs> we have not, although I do have to say in Matt's defense, he's he's much better at doing that than I am. Well, Matt and I talk about you, so I know. <laughs> but honestly, man, I uh, for me, it, it, it's, an ang- it's an anxious it it's a visceral reaction. I I want to hit it, but I don't want it to be just me firing bullets at a shadow. These were really great answers, and and this wasn't my plan, but they kind of played right into one of the things right in the book. I'll share. Obviously, my experience. I was I was saying it, so I don't really have an experience. But what I'll tell you is, I if I'm being fully honest, do you want me to say it for you, and then you can. Feel it? No, it's okay. Okay. White privilege. White privilege. Um, did, did they just say white privilege? Privilege. White privilege. As the whitest person at this table on the microphone. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Uh, we'll the first, I'll even say two dozen times I heard that phrase, my body went into anger and or defensiveness because it felt like it was an attack on me and questioning my integrity, looking at it from who the hell are you to tell me what I am or who I am or what I stand for. That's why that exercise is important because you're not talking about your conscious mind, we're talking about our subconscious and how we're reacting in the body. You know, this book, again, it talks about the real basic things we all know, the the survival, 
responses our body does. There's rest, fight, flee, or freeze. I would probably say mine felt like fight, but in a destructive way where Hassan's felt like a strategic. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mine's, mine's felt like fuck it. Cause it's just like, okay, I can voice it. I can, I can try to fight it and everything. I can talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's the never ending battle. No, I mean, we're going to just jump. I don't want to jump the gun. Hold on. I don't want to. First of all, I don't want to jump the gun. We're going there. You were going. We are going there. Even with your melanin in mind, with the right proximity to certain individuals, we can transcend the white female. And you will see. Wait a minute. What are we trying to do right now? Well, well, no, 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 no. You'll see that the privilege, the privilege of 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 white privilege also has male. There's a patriarchal a rung on that ladder of privilege that unless that's addressed and see, this is tough for me as a man. You're saying, hey, cut your feet off so your ankles can feel better. <laughs> well, as a man, we have to deal with the patriarchy in white privilege. Because it's not just white privilege. Because this, you ask any you know white woman who has been on the short end of a divorce that it's not just white privilege, but there's a white male privilege. True. Does money make it better? I'm going to be honest. Yeah, money makes it better. Money makes some of it better. In America, we know that money and access to the free market makes a big difference. And when access to the free market wasn't an issue... You saw the Greenwoods of America. You saw uh, Harlem in New York. You saw Detroit. You saw Cleveland where there were amazing, what they called, uh, they called them benevolent societies where these black groups were able to back a certain political candidate. They were able to raise enough money to build a black clinic on the east side of Cleveland. And then we see a systemic and legal crackdown on those movements. So you say, unless we have a redress, unless there is an economic and legal redress to the pain and suffering and secondary status that has been delivered and rested upon a certain part of our society, we'll never be able to begin to heal. We go around the table and I ask you guys, what's the worst thing somebody could call you? You would come up with some pretty horrible words or names. Premature ejaculator. Man, I can't stand that. <laughs> and I, and I, cause, cause the effort wasn't appreciated. It's like, it's like you're coming over to dinner and you like baked a whole nice plate and you dropped it right at the door. Yeah. yeah now I'm no still, one, yeah. It's a five second rule. Yeah, it was five seconds. <laughs> that's, that's LeJohn's uh, dating nickname, five second rule. <laughs> <laughs> if if you're listening to this podcast and you're white and you're not super woke. Congratulations on getting this far. <laughs> yeah, you made it through a lot. Because I'll be honest, I'm not super woke. I'm just, I'm just somebody who will listen and try to understand. That's all you really got to be. The worst thing you could call a white person. I mean, because you, you could call us racist terms. And no, those hurt our feelings because call me a cracker. I'm not going to. Oh, darn. Uh, you know, what about hunky? If anything, I, I find those funny and enjoyable. Yeah. Hunky. Do you know any honkies? Honky may be the funniest word. Honky, honky yeah. sounds like that, like one of those uh, puppets on Sesame Street where they were like making their nose make noise. That's, yeah. Levity. Look, I, here's the reason why we have levity. Look, here's, I know, because see, Matt, you're making a very serious point, but the levity 
and I use a ladder as an analogy a lot, but if one of those rungs isn't is in our ability to laugh and to share our pain. But we can't have levity if we're not in that safe space. That's true. Well, be, but you're honest. You don't mind honesty. Here's the thing. Look, no one's saying, and I got to say this so that everyone listening hears this. We're not taking anything from your father whose grandfather came over here in 1912, you know, who, who worked at the central market on sandy, dusty floors, who worked 14 hours a day on his first job, 10 hours a day on his second job. You know, and, and didn't eat, didn't defecate. He just worked. He just worked. We're not taking anything from Papa. I am a third generation pants shitter. And you know what? <laughs> Do you know what the most heinous, offensive thing you can call a white person is? Privileged. Privileged. Racist. Ra oh, Put it racist. All, yeah, put it yeah, all yeah, together. Yeah. Now, yeah. I'm talking about from our deep subconscious because the first thing that we want to do if we're honest with ourselves about how our bodies react is we want to fight you and or run away because how dare you Hassan how dare you talk about me you have no I have no privilege right. I have earned everything that I've gotten in this lifetime and you weren't Technically, you weren't a slave owner, right? So that's right. where people who are, like white people get upset about. If, if you guys haven't noticed, this is a Spike Lee joint and I'm playing the bad guy in this episode. <laughs> You're John Turturro in this. So here's the thing with the uncomfortable truth. We have to be able to say these things to each other and, and not be a personal offense. Yeah, I think it's important to accept that because of the color of your skin, if you were white, you have experienced privilege. It doesn't mean that you personally went and stole someone's cup because you like the color of it and you want to drink it. And because you're white, everyone's like, well, Matt is white. So he gets this cup. Sorry, you, Hassan, you have to drink with your I hands. I drink out of Matt's you to, cup. You're drinking the, yeah. <laughs> Nobody's mad that you're white. No one's mad that you're a man. No one's mad that you're straight or, you know, cis. Here's what we're saying in a nutshell with white privilege is that for all that you've gone through, None of your struggles has been because of the color of your skin. Exactly. And that when you want to look at the modern, like postmodern America from 1944 on up to where we are now, the jobs with the county weren't open to blacks. The jobs at uh, the hospital outside of sanitation, none of those were open to blacks. The jobs on the police force, none of those were open to blacks. And and then when they did open them in several cities like New York, Chicago, L.A., those black cops didn't carry a pistol. They weren't allowed to be armed. So it took into like the 70s and a lot of anti-discrimination lawsuits for fire departments, police departments, county offices it think about that it took lawsuits not to say we're going to give you more than your white counterpart just for you to be able to apply for the job bringing it away from white privilege into male privilege strike two yeah <laughs> sorry i am also wearing pants which uh is illegal for women right but when we when you bring up the male part the patriarchal part mm -hmm. do you think that our white sisters are enabling it. Well, yeah, absolutely. Listen, women are secondary. Uh, we're second class. But white women are like a little closer to first class. <laughs> than, than again, again it, it might be money. 
It might be by proxy. It, there's a lot of things that are equalizers. Can I speak to the, my point, though, when I was talking about male yeah, privilege? Please, please. Uh, no, you can't so, yeah, and That's I guess, I yeah, out. I guess, yeah, uh, <laughs> thinking you can cut me off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was telling my friend about how I was nervous to walk uh, in a certain neighborhood at night because um, there had been like some crimes and I would get catcalled all the time. He was like, what? I never get catcalled. Like, well, you're a six foot five man. That's why you're not getting catcalled by all these guys. And he's like, oh, hey, I've never been racist or sexist. Like, how dare you guys accuse me of this? Right. And it's and that's the thing about privilege is you might not be, but you need to recognize that there's a society that fosters it. Lindsay, would you come in on this, please? What we we see the white male privilege being a step up. Are you calling me Paula right now? No, I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) We see a step up above. You were talking about wearing pants. He thought you were Paula Poundstone. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Thank pants. you. Please go, please. I think from a couple different perspectives, you have a lot of women who are in traditional marriages where it's the weak woman and the husbands are more of that macho, um, misogynistic. You've got that at home. And then walk into corporate America. That is white man's land. And it is so frustrating. It really is like looking at a corporation. You have a white male who is behaving badly, who is enabled largely by the people around him and saying that that everything's okay. But to see how the women react in high positions of power, you've got VPs, you've got directors, you've got and. They are still that that glass ceiling is real. You can give them a title. You can give them 75 cents for, you know, what the males are making, but they still go around it, and it's just this coddling and this we called it butt wiping. But it it really is. It's and it's and it's frustrating because it's institutionalized like you can't do anything about it in corporate America. You know it's an happens? unspoken rule. You know what would happen if you stand up to it? You probably shown the door. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So you might as well take your 75 cents of the dollar and know that you're doing better than other people and keep quiet. Uh, Think about Django Unchained and who Samuel L. Jackson's character was. I might be considered lesser than, but I'm still higher than you. And I think that's what it is. It's the higher I can get to that top. And who doesn't want to be at the top? We all want to be at the top of the pyramid. It's all, it's king of the hill for all of us, it's, right? It also seems like it's a little bit of that like delayed gratification exercise that they give little kids where they're like, if you want to have this chocolate now, you can. But if I'm going to step out of the room and I'm going to be back in five minutes and if I come back and you don't eat it, I'll give you two. And it's like, well... I don't know when this lady's going to come back. Five minutes sounds really long, and I want this fucking chocolate. So, like, just eat it and just yeah, dog and it's like you dog that chocolate, but like you still got chocolate. Matt, can we go to the big ask then? Then we have to get to the big ask. Oh, we better go there. The Otherwise, ask, why are we here? The big ask is I know it's asking a lot. There has to be a reckoning point where we say, making opportunity available for others doesn't necessarily equate to you losing your advantaged position. It's not a zero-sum game. Thank you. It isn't me versus you and there's only one apple, right? Um, so, okay. So, I, I made this post and 
one of my, I, I guess it was my friend, some other uh, honky started spouting off some nonsense. And this dude says, why don't you check your white privilege? And I got to admit it, even for myself, when I was on his side, I read, he wasn't talking to me, but I still read that and went, Ugh, that makes me feel, I don't like that. So this guy, this white guy who I don't really know well, responded. And here's what he said. And, and, and I'm not saying he's right. He said something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing that, dude, I have never experienced privilege in my life. I was an orphan. I was tossed around between foster homes. I was abused. I have had the shittiest life. People don't give me any benefit of the doubt. They look at me and see me as trash. And, and this was a white person saying this? Yeah. And so I thought, he's not wrong. Yeah, that's why they get upset. Or but that's none why of people his get upset, issues were because of, because his, skin of his skin color. color. That's the number one. See, that's issue. the issue. That's the thing there. That yeah. none of his issues yes. were because of his skin color. And it took me probably about six months to figure that out. Yeah, it's like imagine what would happen if you uh, were an orphan and all of that stuff happened, and you were black. And you were black. The whole point is, people were white splaining to black folks what racism was and wasn't, and that's where I started to understand. Really. And I'll tell you what, I, I, the reason why I understand it and the reason why I don't get defensive anymore and the reason why I'm not fighting it is because of people at this table and others. Because you guys fear. Because <laughs> <laughs> Hazan said he was going to kick my white ass and that's fine. That my point in saying that is to take some of the stigma out of it so people who look like me, can start to wrap their heads around it. It's not your fault that there is white privilege. And when they say you, sometimes it's the general you, not you. We have the advantage in our culture and you can use it for good or you can use it for selfishness. And I honestly think so many more people will appreciate you for trying to use it for good. I want to just jump in um, and talk about what white privilege looks like in a more subversive, uh, more subtle kind of way, as opposed to just like policy. This is an article that I came across when uh, I think it was written in like 2017. The guy was like, to all my black or mixed race uh, Facebook friends, I must profess a blissful ignorance of this white privilege, which I'm apparently guilty of possessing. Not being able to fully put myself in the shoes of someone from a background, race, religion, gender, nationality, body type that differs from my own makes me part of the problem, according to what I'm hearing. So that I may be enlightened, can you please share with me some examples of institutional racism that have made an indelible mark on you? If I am to understand this, I need people I know personally to show me how I'm missing what's going on. Personal examples only. So this is Lori Lacken Hutcherson. She is a Harvard graduate, a former film studio exec, and she is the founder and editor-in-chief of the website Good Black News, talking about her personal experiences with white privilege. The first one that she talks about is when she moves into an upper middle-class all-white neighborhood when she was three years old. They had a big backyard. Her parents built a pool, not the only pool on the block, but the only one where the neighborhood boys started throwing rocks into it. 
The white privilege in this situation is being able to move into a nice neighborhood and be accepted, not harassed, made to feel unwelcome or prone to acts of vandalism and hostility. When her sister was five, a white boy called her the N-word after she beat him in a race at school. And then she had to go home and ask what it meant. And if that's unclear, it's you've never had a defining moment in your childhood or your life where you realize your skin color alone makes other people hate you. That is white privilege. Um, And one was to her doctor when she was getting a physical. She said, I need to send an immunization report to my college so I can matriculate. The doctor said, where are you going? She said, Harvard. The doctor said, you mean the one in Massachusetts? The point here is if no one has ever questioned your intellectual capabilities or attendance at an elite institution based solely on the color of your skin, that is white privilege. And this is by no means this rare little nugget. Here's a great example. There were some help wanted ads in the Boston Globe and the Chicago Tribune. And so these people doing this experiment, they responded with more than 5,000 made up resumes. And while all of the traits were comparable and all of the skills and education on some of them, they were randomly assigned names like Jamal or Lakeisha that sounded African-American or like Emily or Greg, which obviously sound more white. And what do you guys expect happened? Some of the resumes didn't make it to the top. One in 10 of the resumes with the white people got a response and one in 15 of the ones with the black names. Another good one that she has, on the very first date that she had with her now husband, she got into the car and saw baby wipes on the passenger side floor. He said he didn't have kids and that they were just there to clean up messes in the car. She twisted to secure her seatbelt and saw a stuffed animal in the rear window. She gave him a look and he said, I promise I don't have kids. That's only there so I don't get stopped by the police. He then told her that when he drives home from work late at night, he was getting stopped by cops constantly because he was a black man in a luxury car and they assumed it was either stolen or that he was a drug dealer. When he told a cop friend about this, the friend told Warren to put a stuffed animal in the rear window because it would change his profile to that of a family man and he was much less likely to be stopped. So the point here is if you've... That good, yeah, take that note. As I'm sitting here listening to those, first of all, I'm still numb as fuck, and it's sad as hell that I'm like, hey, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, exactly. I can do that. And I'm like, really like, no, I'm not bullshit. I'm sitting here like, oh, shit. Yeah, I should do that. I yeah. should do that. What's the name of this show, by the way? Uh, Hassan's Magic Hour of Sexy Smooth <laughs> Coffee Talk. So, you guys, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. You guys can't, I wish we had cameras. You can't see the producer here, and Lindsay is the fucking man. All right? She's the woman. Let's She's let the woman. Woman. Okay. Well, you know what I mean? You, um, euphemistically speaking, but go back. Yeah, go I can back. give you some examples. I started working a, um, a funky third shift job. I can't even call it third shift. It was second and third shift combined. Third shift, got it. Yeah, yeah. third shift. It was 7 p.m. to 3.30 a.m. What kind of shit is that? Okay. Wow. All right. So for the first three straight nights, I got pulled over by the same cop. <laughs> Did he realize you were the she, same person? Did she realize was you- she interested in dating you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That, that, I should have I should have inquired that. Hey, listen, I'm just coming home from work. Yeah. At a funky hour like I already expressed. But it's like, damn, it's it couldn't have been more clear. Black dude driving through Newburgh Heights at a late hour. To 
pull out of my driveway and to look around to see just where they are. But not that I'm trying to avoid them because I'm driving dirty or riding dirty or whatever, but it's the fact that it's like, I just don't want to be bothered because I know you're trying to bother me. I know you so want you're to saying, bother me. So you're saying you hate the police. I am not saying that. Don't you do that. Don't you do that. That's all good, though. Again, yeah. it's a Spike Lee joint. Yeah, I got you. I got you. No, no. Not, uh, what happened then? to bridging the gap, Matt? <laughs> yeah, because one thing for certain, I have respect for anybody whose job is to say where it's at, I'm on my way. I have no idea who you are. I have no idea how you look before I get there. I'm on my way. So that's just a- anecdotal. That j- that must have just been a really nosy cop in a small town. Oh, they have nothing else to do. There's any shit else going on except the family dollar. So then <laughs> that's not. So that's not really racism. That's oh, not really. Wait, 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 wait. I, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to tee him yeah, up. For yeah, yeah, yeah. I see exactly what you're doing. I love it. <laughs> I fucking love it. You no, know, here it is. Okay, so. Why else? Multiple nights, three in a row for that matter. Okay. Why else? What do you think? Why else? We're scared, but we are taught that through media, through political rhetoric, that the black man is scary. Do you know why the black man is scary? This is always what I thought. After 400 years of having your foot on the black man's neck, you have to be afraid of what you think he might do. Did you ever read the thing about Nelson Mandela? When he was in prison for all those years, the prison guard just treated him like utter shit. And when he finally got out, they saw this man and they're like, he is afraid of you. This man was shivering. And they and they asked, it, like, what happened? He goes, no, because this man essentially tortured me while I was in prison. And he thought when I got out and I got to power again, that I would return his favor in spades. And instead, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show him kindness. We are so afraid of people taking retribution. Are you kidding me? Whether or not we realize we're doing it. Whenever I ask white people who try to deny racism or, or try to fight the idea that it exists, I always ask them, you know, what do your black friends say? But they usually get tripped up very quickly. My assumption to that, and it's just my opinion, is that they don't have black friends. They just know black people because I could not be friends with the two guys sitting at this table. And then hear you tell me your stories and feel good about myself about sitting there and doing nothing about it. There's a difference between and even in the black community, like John's going to be like, oh, you're like letting secrets out in the in the black community. There's a difference, Matt, between a guy like Matt Palata and a guy like Mike Pence. Like you're not there's not a monolithic white guy. Well, the the, the word this year was ally. Yeah, yeah there it is. An ally. You're like, Matt, you're an ally. You know, you're not. You're not. Uh, I need you to promote that to the secret black club you guys are talking about. <laughs> Justin, you're Tell in there. To, Always hey, do. Me. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me let me set the record straight. Look, uh, beyond race, beyond gender, and all that, there's how a person is at their heart. Hassan and I made a point to meet up and grab a coffee on a beautiful day in downtown Cleveland. I asked you what your experience and views on the police were, because that's when all this stuff was happening. It was shortly after George Floyd. You talked about if my car broke down the side of the road. When I break down or if I have an issue, I'm more concerned that I'll be able to fix my issue before the cops arrive 
so that I don't have to go through the gauntlet of dealing with the cops. Yeah, look, uh, you're going to get the guy who uh, who realizes that, wait a minute, if I run this, I could get more if I look at this guy's background, or I could help the guy. I could actually like help. I could help this motorist, or I could give him the business. Well, to realize that your whole life could change—that's the issue. That your whole life could change on a traffic stop, not because of your decision making. Not because that you've been selfish or you're a criminal, but your whole life could change on a traffic stop. If there's anything that you're willing to do, I hope you're willing to have the uncomfortable conversation with those who don't look like you, with those who are not your gender. Guys, the fact that we sit here right now, a couple of black guys, a few white people, and we're going to share something with the world. If this were 1857, she's going to have to risk her life. He's going to have to risk his life. I would have died in childbirth. You would have died because you have a smart mouth. So you I have would a smart die. mouth, so I would have died. Matt, they're yeah. going to do unspeakable horrors to you. So here's what I'm going to say. It's not your fault that white privilege exists. You did nothing to earn that badge of horror. However, you can choose whether or not you do something good with it. Yes. Go out there. And make friends with people who aren't like you. I promise it will change your view on the world and it'll make you better for it. I've been thinking about something over here. And I kind of, I guess I'm finding myself getting closer to understanding why if you're white and you don't speak up on white privilege and everything, why you wouldn't. I think about an NFL football player. How many black NFL players are saying, don't draft me. Draft Dan Smith. Draft this white guy. No, trust me. Yeah, he's he needs an opportunity. I'll bypass that big ass million dollar contract. Give it to Dan Smith. Yeah, because when you think about it that way, if I was white and knew white privilege exists, I probably wouldn't say shit either because I want that contract. I know it's a big ask, but you don't have to give up your advantage your privilege and your position in order for others to do okay. That's it. Uh, I think our, our guest here, Hassan Rogers, you are the man. Okay, look, story time with Hassan. I bring language arts uh, supplements and curriculums to your educational facility through performances and interactive uh, storytelling. 216-323-9548. That's story time with Hassan. And I promise I will not use curse words in front of your kids. But I will help them to become better writers. Thank you so much, Bobby Dragon. Bobby Dragon. You can get a hold of Bobby's Dragon's music at Bobby Dragon. That's all together, bobbydragon.com. We just went there. Now you can go to Instagram at The Going There Podcast, Facebook at Going There Podcast, or email us at goingtherepodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsey Baker, Tyler Kubisti, Michael Madgar, Joe Kelly, and Bobby Thomas.